Hi, everybody. My name is Shannon Lee. Welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. I'm the Director of Coaching at Win Without Pitching. And right now I'm sitting in my home office in Seattle, Washington, working on all of the activity that's going to hit for Win Without Pitching once September 1 arrives and also thinking about back to school for my 10-year-old daughter and what that's going to look like as we enter uh, the second year or so, I guess, of this pandemic. That is crazy. I'm so happy to have you on. We were chatting a little bit before, um, but I wanted to to tell you uh, while we're recording that I, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I um, Win Without Pitching was a book that I I found through, I don't know if you, you know who this person is, but he really promotes you guys a lot. Um, Chris Doe from uh, Future. He's on YouTube and like all of these other things. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, absolutely. He's famous. Absolutely. We love Chris Doe and we're a big fan of what he does as well. Oh my, I, I really didn't know much <laughs> about uh, a lot of the things that, that are covered in the book. And I was watching a video of him. He was doing like some sort of AIGA event and I was able to watch it on YouTube for free, which is very nice. <laughs> and uh, uh, he was, he was talking about all of these different points. And I was like, that's really interesting. He's like, yeah, by the way, these aren't really all of my own ideas. I got them from this book. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and so I, uh, I, I like to read, read books like that. I've, I've read, um, the experience economy. Um, and I mm-hmm. got it on audiobook. And then when I found that one without pitching was on audiobook, I was like, perfect. <laughs> And so I would listen to it while I was making countless dinners and on my uh, exercise bike. And like, it was so helpful. And I actually applied it into actual work that I did when I was starting freelancing and web design after graduating. So I just want to tell you like that, that's how I heard about you guys. What do you think about that before I keep going on? No, I, I will. I love it. It just, it, it warms my heart. First of all, we appreciate Christo and what he does so much lifting up the design community. And we're very aligned from that perspective. Blair Enns, the founder of Win Without Pitching is it really built the company to help that creative professional feel more comfortable selling and marketing themselves and feel like they have the right to be at that table and be the expert and be compensated for the value, right, that that you bring as a creative professional. So I just, I love hearing that the manifesto struck a chord, that you found us through Chris Doe. We're all connected. We're all here to make sure that we're lifting the greater good for the design community. So it warms my heart. It really does. Well, for, for anybody that, that doesn't know about the book, would you be comfortable just giving them a little bit of context on uh, what we're talking about? Absolutely. So the Win Without Pitching Manifesto is our ideology, our perspective on how we believe you should really show up and behave and conduct yourself in a sales process with potential clients-to-be. And it's really this call to action, and it's meant to inspire. And Blair, the founder and, and author of the book, just did a beautiful job calling out 12 different proclamations that he really wants that creative professional to take into account and build into their day-to-day. And it, it starts with this idea of the need to specialize and addresses issues of money, how to talk about money, how to bring confidence to that conversation, how to understand 
how to have a conversation versus go into presentation mode and just bringing, frankly, humanity and your ability to see if you can help back to the sale versus feeling like you have to be this kind of dog and pony show that we're the sales robot um, that often we can easily go into the mode of if nerves take over, if we're just not sure how to sell. And so it's really meant to inspire and begin to educate how to sell in a way that, that feels good and feels like it's filled with integrity. When uh, somebody uh, like you takes the time to come and hang out with me, um, I try to do a lot of research on you beforehand to learn what makes you tick, like what what you have already out there. I I really like the way that you said you tried to get rid of like the ickiness <laughs> of, exactly. of the, the sale <laughs> and and like, but the, there was um another thing that I wanted to bring up with you. It seems like. There's a difference in um, how people approach payment for things that are physical, you mm-hmm. can touch, versus things that people do for you. Um, do you do you think about that often? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. You know, the the focus around selling for us is really all about that professional who's selling ideas, who's selling knowledge, who's selling something that isn't tangible like a product, because it is more difficult, right? You have to do a better job of explaining who you help and how and what the value is that that client can expect and what the outcomes are going to be and do a good job of really listening and understanding their problem to see if it is the right fit. And then really sitting down and together looking at, okay, what matters most here? What are what are the outcomes you really are seeking in this project we're going to work on together? And how will we know if we're successful? And really approaching it from the aspect of creating as much value for your client as possible and doing it in a way that revolves heavily in the sale around having conversations and doing a lot of active listening and asking a lot of questions and helping that client to really see how it's going to go if they decide to hire you and and what the expected outcomes are going to be and reassuring, right? And so it, it is an approach that really helps do a better job of explaining ideas versus trying to sell a product. It it changed the way that I talked to clients. It it changed the way that I had that first interaction. I remember in in the book, there was a a part about um, prescribing the solution, Mm -hmm. I, I started to actually like approach, so I'm, I'm a web designer. When people come up to me to have that first consultation conversation, really trying to find the, the solution for what's happening and trying to ask as many questions as possible. Like, so like, what's your end goal for this? Like, are the clients that you have in the same category or the same clients that you want for the future? Like, things like that are, are really interesting. And I, I actually, um, I went to school for graphic design and towards the end of, of school, um, they started teaching us like what compensation is for someone mm-hmm. uh, like us. Everything was hourly. Everything mm-hmm. that they were teaching us was hourly. And I had just read your book and I was literally in class. I'm like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I have a different like, uh, take on it. <laughs> and they were like, what do you mean? How? Like they didn't understand like that there was even any other concept. And so I, I was literally in class talking about your book, talking about um, uh, value-based pricing, talking about um, like how you really do charge different clients, different costs based on 
what the return is that you can do mm-hmm. for them. Uh, I, I thought that was a, a fun moment. Uh, and then my, my professor was like, where, what book did you read? <laughs> I love it, Emily. The the student becomes the teacher. (laughs) It was pretty funny. Uh, Based on on what I I think I understand about you, even though this is the first time that we met, it it seems like with coaching and with the work that you do, it it seems like it's a really personable personable thing, like something that, I don't know, like you have a lot of uh, one-on-one conversations with people. So I kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about you uh, if if people wanted to come for you for coaching. So um, one thing that I found that I thought was really interesting was um, it seemed like for you, everything kind of started with horses. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's like, I'm, I was waiting. I'm like, I wonder what she discovered about me. This is going to be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if somebody asked me what, what would you do if you weren't coaching for win without pitching, if we just took that away and you couldn't do that, it it would be something with horses for sure. That's just a passion and has been since the day I was born. Um, And so that is a big part of my life to this day still for sure. Are are you from Idaho? No, I am actually from Spokane, Washington. Okay. That's where I grew up. Yep. And I live in Seattle now, but I grew up on a little farm in Spokane and was a very lucky kid. I, I got a pony at a young age and about maybe seven or eight, I guess, and had this really magical little place to to live and have a horse in the backyard and when I grew out of the pony, I got a bigger horse. And when I grew out of that horse, I got another horse. And so I just had horses all the way through high school and did all different disciplines and really learned hard work, right? And really learned empathy and what it means to care for an animal and be a part of a club like 4-H and be really committed to something. And so it was just a really cool journey and opportunity. And and I've carried it forward into my adulthood now with my own daughter. So it's pretty neat how it's come full circle. Growing up, I also spent a lot of time in barns that, um, not my, my own writing, but my sister, uh, Elizabeth, she would do dressage and, um, (gasps) she'd do English, English writing. And, uh, I, I heard that you did, uh, barrel racing, which I've yes. seen. I have seen, uh, because I'm, I'm like super allergic to horses. So I would always go like with so much Benadryl in my system, but I would go yeah. to these, <laughs> these uh, events and then sleep on the car ride home. But, um, they were, they were so cool. So that I'm guessing contributes a lot to like your developmental personality of, um, just like, that's something hard to do that takes a lot of guts. Trust yourself in practice so you don't get hurt. Yeah, boy, you connected those dots beautifully. I think you've hit on it. But yeah, to to feel comfortable with a very big animal going all out fast rate of speed requires either like just pure confidence and guts or just craziness, right? A little bit of each. And so I, I do feel that it translates to my ability to be a good coach. And also when I was selling, I, I've been on the front line of uh, selling agency and creative services for many years now. And it just, I think that upbringing gave me the confidence to feel like I had the right to be in whatever room I was in. And I had the right to speak up and ask questions and to just be myself and not worry if that didn't work for everybody, because I 
I'm not going to be everybody's favorite out there or the right fit for everybody, whatever the case is. And so how that translates into coaching is the ability to to tell the truth to a client, right? And support them through the hard times when it feels scary to talk about something like money or push back if you don't think the website they want you to build is the right idea. Um, and so I, I do think that it's it's a great way to connect those dots. Absolutely. And I, another thing that I thought was really interesting about you, and I wanted to ask like how you transitioned to this, is you you went from being really interested in horses and wanting to be a trainer from what I've heard, uh, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> um, yeah. to, uh, you, you wanted to study, uh, international relations in Spanish and right. were interested in being an ambassador. So how did that transition happen? Yeah, I think it's just one of those life journeys where I loved what I was doing with horses and you start to get older and think about college and wonder, hmm, you know, what might be next. And, my dad was really influential. And he said, as I started high school, I don't really care what classes you take, but you do have to take four years of a language because learning another language and living in another country is just critical and you have to do it. And it was the best piece of advice, I think, because I did enter this new chapter where I learned Spanish. I lived in Buenos Aires, Argentina for a couple of years um, towards the end of college and really got excited about just the globe and and what was happening in the world and for a time there worked at the US embassy and thought about yeah do i want to do i want to go into a lifestyle of you know maybe being a diplomat i don't know what that means but i explored it and enjoyed every minute of it and then one thing led to another and i ended up back in the united states in a in a job for cinnabon world famous cinnamon rolls in public relations and then this journey started down a communications path where I ended up being the one that hired agencies, um, which led me to start working for an agency. So I don't know, it's all these little twists and turns. And I think it's just being open to things and letting yourself have a lot of experiences. And you'll find that unique ability along the way somewhere. What was that experience like of, did you travel a lot previous to going to Argentina? Or was that kind of like your first big experience? Only in the U.S. had I traveled, yeah, and mm. but I hadn't hadn't traveled outside of you know Canada, I guess, but outside of um, the U.S. to another continent or country, certainly. Um, and so that was my first really big experience, and I'll never forget like walking down the the aisle to get on the plane, and my mom and dad are waving goodbye, and it was like, what am I about to do? It was completely <laughs> terrifying and exciting all at once. That's pretty interesting. Have you been able to use uh, Spanish since then for your career? Yes and no. It's interesting. Not until recently did I kind of pull my Spanish skills out in the last, I've been a coach at Win Without Pitching now for six years, and I've actually had clients come, you know, into the program from Colombia and Argentina. And I've been able to play around with my Spanish a little bit when I'm talking with them. But after Argentina, it was really by and large, just, you know, if I traveled to other Spanish speaking countries or, you know, met somebody that spoke Spanish that I would speak or play around with it. But in a business capacity, I really didn't until recently. And I need to polish up. I'll be honest about it. Like there's some, (laughs) some polishing up that needs to happen. 
they can fill in the gaps. I'm sure they'll, yeah, they'll figure yeah. it out. They're very nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so thinking about being in a diplomat role, can I ask you why you applied to Cinnabon? Um, when when you first had that opportunity, you know, it's it's I can't remember the exact reason aside from it sounded interesting because it was a public relations role that had an element of communicating, an element of writing, an element of kind of being out front and being a spokesperson for the company. And all of those things got me excited. And all of those were things that I felt like I was naturally good at. And it just seemed like a pretty fun company at the time too. And so I applied for this job and and got the role and it was really instrumental in helping me kind of understand where I wanted to go when I was on the client side or the corporate side um, for about a decade. And I just loved communications. I loved the pace of it. I loved being to kind of able to set the strategy around what is the message as an organization. I loved working on advertising and marketing efforts and investor relations. And so I think it just hit that sweet spot for me around communicating and being able to communicate in many formats and being able to, to be out front. Did you have a lot of communications education in international relations? Like how how much of that was like uh, poli sci uh, mm-hmm. and communications? What what was that like? Because you went directly into communications after uh, the time uh, abroad. Was there something that like was really interesting to you in like how businesses worked, how how they represented themselves? Yeah, I think that that business was interesting to me just in general. And I didn't, there wasn't a lot of communications in that international relations degree. It was more like you said, poli-sci, economics, better understanding of just, you know, how, how the globe works and, you know, how we're all interconnected. I just, I just happened to be somebody from a young age who enjoyed the spoken word and enjoyed the written word. And so those things came naturally to me. And then I layered on the education around international relations in Spanish. And so it, a lot of it was kind of learned on the go. And I sort of believe that about life too, that you have to put yourself in situations that feel uncomfortable and try new things and learn new things. And that's where you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about what you're good at and not good at. And uh, something that I, as a a creative person have really been wondering about the whole idea of somebody getting their MBA. Uh, mm. That that really stuck out to me a lot um, when I when I saw that in your profile. Because long story short, when I was um, in elementary school, my mother went and got her MBA, and I watched her apply for the GMAT. I watched her do all of these. Uh, other things I sometimes would be in class with her <laughs> because uh, oh, that's yeah. how transportation worked that day <laughs> right and um and yeah I, I did photography and so I remember taking all of the MBA's uh, headshots at Lehigh University one year it was it was funny we we went on a, a camping trip when around that time frame and I remember hanging out with my sisters and they were much younger than me and uh, they would say I would walk around and say things like okay I'm the CEO of uh sticks <laughs> when we were trying yeah. to like get sticks together for the campfire um yeah. you're the cfo you have to count all of them 
I love, you're a natural leader. You have the like, business in you. That's so fantastic. But these were all just words that we didn't quite understand. Um, yeah. But it was, it was kind of funny. And so, um, so yeah, we, I had that, that influence um, from my mom when I went to school and I started studying graphic design and branding and things like that. Um, there's kind of two ways to go. You can go the the visual way with like design agency or um there's this other way of like being a double-edged sword where you could be a uh, uh someone who's knows a lot about business and also mm-hmm. understands the visual uh and um digital aspects of it so something that i w- wanted to ask from you is going from international relations to communications to marketing and mba so like as you move through these different transitions in your life did that really influence you a lot when you were moving into what you did with your career and ultimately the day that you you saw Blair at an event? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that if I think about my journey, I just kept getting more narrow and more specialized. I started out, you know, really in communications, a big bucket, right? Communications could mean a lot of things. And I went more narrow into public relations. And then I tried marketing and then I got into investor relations and financial communications. And then I started hiring design agencies to help with things like creating the annual report or rebuilding a website or launching a new brand. And then that was interesting to me and just happened to come upon an agency in Seattle that designed the annual reports for me while I was at Safeco and AT&T Wireless. And I was done with corporate America at that time. I wanted a smaller experience. So I kept narrowing in discipline and narrowing in size of company because I was learning about myself along the way and learning that I wouldn't trade all the big company experience I had, but I do much better in a smaller team environment and being an independent contributor where I can really help affect change. And had another lucky break where a design firm owner said, why don't you come and do sales and marketing for us? I didn't really know what that meant in a design (laughs) firm perspective, but I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. I love what you do for us. I love the environment. I love everybody who works there. It sounds fun. So I'll go figure it out. And I think that's largely been for me is just like, trust myself, keep exploring, keep digging when it feels good, learn more and keep going. And And I I didn't get a traditional MBA. I got Seth Godin's alt MBA, which was killer because I also knew at that point in life, I didn't want to go into a full big time MBA program. I wanted something different that was disruptive. Mm. And Seth Godin's alt MBA really delivered on that. So I don't know. It's really about keep pushing, keep exploring, trust your gut, listen to yourself and try a bunch of different things to really land on what works for you. What did you like so much about that Alt-MBA? I liked the sprint nature of it for intense weeks of working in small teams and getting really close, really fast to people um, and trusting others and churning out great projects and feeling like, man, you can put anything in front of us and we can do it. Like, I'm not afraid of a constraint-driven exercise. And it also gave me a bigger worldview, frankly. I I learned so much more about how different people think and view the world. And I learned how to give really good feedback versus saying, oh, good job. That was really 
wonderful, right? Like I learned how to really give people feedback that was helpful and receive feedback that was helpful on a different level. So it was just, I can't even say enough good about that experience and those involved uh, in that program and what I learned. That is so crucial. And specifically when you talk about feedback, I I have a, a set of friends that I've I've made over the last couple of months or so that I've been sending uh work out to people that I've met over the internet. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, uh I value so much when when my friend will uh make a response video and say, Hey, um like this spacing isn't working. Like this doesn't make sense or uh I don't really understand what's going on here. And the ability that I've had of um going through user testing and just like really working with my ego to just accept feedback and and yeah. not like trying to be defensive about it has helped me more than most classes in college. Just the ability to deal with yourself <laughs> is huge. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, and it's a really big deal when you get to that place of self-awareness and you feel like, yeah, I, I recognize my reaction for what it is. And I'm able to take a breath and look at the other side of it and maybe it, I'll agree and maybe I won't, but it doesn't need to turn into something negative. It is just people view things differently and there are different ways to look at problems and let's remove some of the overly sensitive nature that sometimes can kind of percolate up because you take like personal offense to it. It doesn't have to be that way. It, it can be so much more the abundance mindset, right? And the ability to just be open and generous and come at it from a place of love, frankly. Something else that that really helps me with that, and I don't know if this, this also applies to your world too, is um, uh, just trying to do as much, I guess the categories would be like testing or trying to find data or trying to really go into more of an objective view of whatever problem that you're looking at so Mm -hmm. that it's not all subjective. Like sometimes I feel like if the question is all subjective, it's it's really tricky to try to uh, get feedback and listen to people but when you when you test with a bunch of people to try to get like the the average response you might even have data points to to line up against that it becomes a lot less personal and a mm-hmm. lot easier to listen to people and that's a good stepping stone at least for me um to just practice being vulnerable like that so that when it is more of a subjective thing, like my opinion versus your opinion, I can totally listen better. Do you, have have you seen that in your life too? Yeah, I think and it's interesting because I have always been the kind of person who leads more with trusting my gut and what my gut tells me than what the data tells me. And so that has been a learning for me that it's important to slow down and take a look at all different angles of something when you're trying to solve a problem or figure it out and that the data element is important. And I think for me, it was even a matter of like just feeling uncomfortable because I didn't feel comfortable immersing myself in data and being open to learning what that might mean because it's yet another feedback loop that helps us to see the big picture. And so I I think it is interesting to really consider all these feedback loops out there and all these different ways to kind of look at something through others' eyes to, to feel like, yeah, okay, I've, I feel like I have as complete a set of information as 
possible to make a decision. But then I also think it's important to, to make the decision, right? I'm, I'm all about action. And sometimes not everything's going to be perfect, but it's still important to take action. And then you'll learn. You'll learn if it's good or bad or if you need to make an adjustment. The other point that you brought up uh, was you got a job at a design agency. Is that is that the way that they called her? Did they call themselves a design firm or something? I like think that? at the time it was a um, it was design it was a design firm, and then okay. they shifted to branding firm. Right when branding kind of became the word, so yeah, it, so, it evolved over time. So I'm guessing that uh, you were working with a lot of creative people, and mm-hmm. uh, so the book, the way that I read it was uh, it was talking about pricing creativity and, and pricing all of these things. So um, what was it like to work with people like me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, Emily. It was, it was, it was eye opening. It was energizing. It was frustrating. It was really a lesson in like what we've been talking about, like just seeing the other side of the equation. And, but it was a healthy kind of tension that I really came to appreciate because I I feel like we were all there to do good work and we all wanted to work on projects that were interesting, but everybody also wanted to make sure that they were able to like feed their family and pay their mortgage at the end of the day. Right. So there within this design firm anyway, I feel like I was, I've worked with a set of designers who were truly creative, but also had that ability to kind of, tap into that business side or client care side of the equation. And it was kind of interesting. And and I think partly that was because we were a firm that really specialized in financial communications and annual reports and corporate clients. And there's a need to be creative, but there's a need to be buttoned up um, Mm. at the same time. And so, but yeah, like part of what was fun about it is when you're working with somebody who is a creative professional, you can't control them nor should you. And, and you don't ever know sometimes what they might say in a sales meeting or sales conversation. And that's kind of what I liked about it. It was sort of like, yeah, you want to talk to a creative agency for a reason. So let's let the creative team be creative and do their best work. So it felt good to be able to stick up for and represent when needed as well. So I'm guessing that you had a lot of uh, points where you can actually see in a day-to-day without having the um, role of actually like being with them in that job of seeing how they, how they present, how they Mm -hmm. interact and stuff like that. Did that uh, influence kind of your idea of now that I'm in this coaching role, like I've spent so much time with these people in their natural habitat (laughs) Um, and now I can talk to them a little bit easier. Yeah, for sure. And and that, again, is a testament to specialization. You know, we're specialized in helping creative professionals feel more comfortable selling. And the reason we're good at it is because we've we've walked in their shoes. We've worked in design firms, owned firms, whatever the whatever the case may be, like we've been in the trenches and I have a deep understanding of what feels hard for for somebody who is creative when they're placed in a sales scenario. And I'm okay sitting in that messiness and tension with them and letting those vulnerable moments happen to help them gain the confidence and realize like, I can do this. I I actually can go have a sales conversation and do this and charge what I'm worth and provide a lot of value for this client. And that is a hundred percent. Okay. So it does help a lot. 
And you were in this role when you saw Blair Ends at a at an event. Can you can you tell me a little bit about how that happened? Uh, why you guys were at that event? And I I really loved the way that you talked about it. But I'm gonna let you say it since you're here. <laughs> sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean it it was such a transformational moment for me. I was in a business development role at this this Seattle design firm and. Uh, one of there were three partners at the time, and one of the partners said, "I want to go to this new business summit," and I, I think it was in Memphis. And so we went, and we went to just learn, right? To like learn more about how we can do a better job selling and marketing. And Blair got up to do a talk. He was one of a handful of presenters, and I was about six months into the role, and I had come out of working on the client side in corporate America. And man, when I got into that sales role in the design firm, like I lost some confidence. I kind of lost myself a little bit because it was new and I I wanted to please everybody and close some sales. And so I just like got to this place was selling that wasn't feeling good for me, but I couldn't quite put my finger on why. And he said during that talk, it is not your job to convince anyone of anything in the sale. You have no business trying to convince anyone of anything in the sale. And I was just like gobsmacked because it hit me all of a sudden that that's what I had done to myself. I'd gone into convince mode and dog and pony show mode, and I was willing to do whatever it took to close a sale. And that wasn't me. And that felt gross and that felt ugly. And not only did he like lightning bolt hit me over the head with that realization, but then he went on to lay out a framework for how selling can be fun and how selling can be in the service of helping. And man, the the partner that I was with, we just sat there like nodding our heads. Yes, yes, yes. We believe this. We want more. And so we hired him not too long after to come in and help us revamp how we sold. And it it just changed everything for, for me personally and for that firm. And we stood tall after that. Selling became noble and selling became about helping our clients and it was just fantastic. When you say that, it's really hard for some people to even comprehend what he's talking about. Because mm-hmm. in the traditional sense, um, you're the person that wants to give the service and you are going to these people and saying, hey, do you want my service? Do you want my service? And uh, it almost seems like natural for you to be on one side of the table and the prospective client on the other and they say, okay, well, prove to me why I should work with you. Because in any other situation, in kind of an interview or something like that, it's like, why do you want to work here? Like, what, why should we hire you? And so can you talk a little bit about the fact that it's possible to just like have a different conversation? Because some people, mm-hmm. like, that's the way their entire life has always been. It's the way, like, their grandparents' lives have always been. Like, it's hard to make that transition to even just the fear of being rude also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you're bringing up so much around each individual's mindset when it comes into this idea of selling. And, And that's the first thing I often take a look at is like, what causes you to go sideways in the sale? Is it because you have the need to be liked and you're a people pleaser So you were doing what I was doing, like just saying yes to everything to make people happy. Are you competitive? So you have the need to win. So you get domineering in the sale. 
you know, whatever the case may be, you got to get in touch with your motivators that kind of cause you to go sideways in the sale. So from there, though, in, in Win Without Pitching Land, and this land exists <laughs> because I live in it, my clients live in it, and, and they win and do a great job all day long, is you first have to be seen as meaningfully different. So it really does start with positioning in order to have the kind of conversation that we want you to be able to have in the sale. So you have to, in that client's eyes, be seen as meaningfully different and be seen as somebody who can come in and add value and help them. And that's specializing. And it may be specializing in a vertical or an audience demographic, but it's your ability to say, I'm the expert in marketing for healthcare, right? Or I'm the expert in architecture for people who want to build a home and age in place. So it's got to start there because that's where the confidence comes and that's where the deep insights come. And that's what attracts the right kind of clients to you who are open to hearing you advise and guide and lead in the sale, which is going to set you up to then lead if you are hired to do the work and do your very best work. So it's foundational in terms of where it starts with positioning. It's it's really hard to even do that, really, but actually changing the conversation it reminds me a lot of, um, and I said this before, uh, the the book, um, uh, The Experience Economy. Have you ever heard mm-hmm. of that book? Oh, I have definitely. I haven't read it, but I've definitely heard of it. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. so to boil it down to the very, very most, and I'm not saying most of the points, but one of the points that I, I found was the idea of businesses wanting to be more experiences rather than the fear of being stuck as a commodity because when you're when you're mm. a commodity um i'm not going to name which one but like if you have a profile on a freelancing site sometimes if you don't seem like it would be a experience to work with you or they want to work with you because of who you are often people would say i just want the the cheapest one okay this is what the prices right. that i want this is it um and and they're not really Focusing on like, oh, I'm going to go through this person's whole portfolio. I like the work that they've done, blah, blah, blah. What I took from Blair's book and what I took from the other experience book is kind of like you can make yourself as a freelancer, as a business owner, you can make your service and experience in addition to the product that you make for them. What do you think about that connection between the two books? That's kind of interesting. If I'm following you correctly, um, it's this idea of working with you is going to provide an experience in addition to the outcome of whatever service you're delivering, right? So if I decide to hire you to help me redesign my website, I am, yes, going to get this great website, but I'm also going to have this experience of working with a creative professional that opens my mind and lifts me up in different ways too. So I'm going to walk away better for it and more educated. Am I capturing that idea of experience correctly? Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. So what's interesting to me about this is we have a saying, the sale is the sample of what it's going to be like to work with you. 
And we really believe that. We really believe in the sale. You should be demonstrating how it's going to feel if that client decides to hire you. So in the sale, that's why we don't want all of this like hard selling, yucky stuff that sales, you know, kind of usually connotes for people. We want people to understand deeply the expertise you bring. We want people to feel that you are there to take care of them and that you can help. We want people to feel like they are working with an expert who demonstrates selectivity, who has a keen eye, who isn't afraid to push back. And that experience in the sale should feel then very much like what it will be if they hire you. Again, that expert, they're guiding and advising and taking care of you and getting you to this better place. So it kind of aligns, I think. When you when you talk about um, empathy and care, when when I work with my clients and I develop relationships with them over the the time that we're working on the project, I I really do care about how the project ends up and and care that they're involved and that they understand all of the the points because you, I kind of end up making friends with these people over the yes, months that I that I work with them and. Uh, it's kind of a, a strange thing to have uh, um, business and empathy. I know that maybe it's not strange for other people, but like I kind of fell into it and it's, it's really nice, but it's also um, like, let's say you were, uh, were, you're trying to work on a project for someone that you love, like a family member, and then price comes up and you're like, Oh, I don't even know how to have this conversation. Yeah. And I, I had a, a good friend that um, he does what I do, but he's kind of starting out in it. Uh, I was talking to him like how much he charged and he char he's, he's very good. And, and he charged like a fraction of what I would charge for like the first 50% fee. And I, mm -hmm. I was like, why, why are you charging that? And he said, I don't feel confident enough to charge anymore. I don't know if I'm, mm -hmm. I'm worth it. And I feel like, like it's wrong to ask for more. Do you have conversations with people like that? Because I didn't really even know what to say to him. Yeah, 100%. And I, um, so two things in what you were just talking about there. I do think we are so lucky to get to work in the business that we work in because more so than any other experience I've had, we get to work with people who care a great deal and who see things differently and are okay caring so much and bringing vulnerability and empathy, right? So I just, Emily, I agree with you. Like, it's cool what we get to do and who we get to work with. At the same time, to your point, you can get close to people fast that are your clients and they can become your friends. And that's kind of a beautiful reward, but you have to be pretty careful about it when you're in the sales conversation, because you do need to bring that business professional side of yourself that also recognizes this person has come to me because they need help with something they can't do. They see that I can fill that gap, that I'm an expert in this area. And it should be very much okay that there is a transaction that's going to take place. It's, it's an even exchange considering they're going to pay me. I'm going to build a website or a new brand that's going to launch something for them that brings livelihood and value. So I should be paid as a result of that too. And it is a really hard thing for that creative professional to get over. But at some point, you just kind of got to decide, am I here to run a business or am I here to just give my stuff away for free and struggle? And when you're there to run a business doesn't mean you're cutthroat and taking advantage. It means you're 
you're getting paid fairly for the value you're creating. And so there does come a point in time where creative professionals need to realize that and accept it or not. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I don't mean to be hard nosed about it, but what should happen is then later that relationship and that potential friendship or just closeness, that's the reward. But like, let's keep, let's keep the, the business side of that conversation front and center and respect it because that person's coming to you because they need help with something. And the idea that you might not be someone's budget, like you might be out of someone's yeah. budget, that doesn't mean that um, that you're wrong or anything like no. that. It's just, mm-hmm. that's not the client for you. And, and the right. client for you is still out there and you're keeping your schedule free for that client who's, who's coming. <laughs> They're right. just, you yeah. just haven't met them yet. That's right. It's, it's really about getting good at saying no more than you say yes, because you really do want to work for those clients who are going to let you do your best work, who you can add a lot of value for. And you should be able to understand in the first couple of conversations during the sales cycle, am I the right fit or not? Are you the right fit for me as a client? Am I the right fit for you as a designer? And if not, hey, that's okay. It was so lovely to meet you. I've enjoyed this conversation. You know more about me now. I know more about you. Let's just keep the door open in case a project comes up down the road that makes more sense. And in the meantime, good luck, like best of luck, Mm -hmm. right? Send them off with integrity and respect. Absolutely. Uh, One thing that you brought up before uh, was um, the idea of finding a a niche and and specializing and things like that. Mm -hmm. I've been struggling with this uh, since, since reading the book, since talking to a couple of my friends. I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to you about it. Sure. Yes. <laughs> so um, the the thing that I, so this is, this is what I've gotten from some, some people. Um, so I started out in graphic design and then I did web design. Um, mm-hmm. And then I got some feedback from somebody saying designers shouldn't code. And then I learned how to code. And then, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I got the idea that, okay, so you, there's the business people, there's the um, design people, and then there's the development people. And now I'm really interested in branding and uh, business. And so now mm-hmm. there's there's three. And then uh, yeah. uh, I, I have some friends that say, oh, you should, um, you should kind of pick an industry and then build up in that industry. And then you'll be that person for that industry. My in- inspiration or uh, my role models uh, growing up um, were the designers uh, from Pentagram, which is a design oh, studio that you've probably oh, yes. heard of. Oh, yes, and most definitely. I I absolutely love them. That was probably like when podcasts first started coming out in like, I don't know, uh, 2008, 2010 or something. One of the yeah. first podcasts I ever listened to was the one by uh, uh, Debbie Millman interviewing mm-hmm. Michael Beirut. Yeah. And, I, I, I tried to talk to people saying like, Hey, I want my specialization or, or my niche to be really, really good digital experiences. Like, mm-hmm. I feel really passionate that that that's what I want. And, and I find the, the work page from Pentagram, even though they're not a web design agency, they're like, the, what they do is they make quality design and, and you go for them for all of your quality design needs and and there's this this Massimo Vignelli quote that says Mm. a good designer can design from the pen to the skyscraper and that's Mm. a little much in my opinion but um there's this idea that I'm I'm seeing conflict between um 
the the web design world that I've newly joined of find a specialization, you'll be that person, that's how you get work. And then the pentagram world that I grew up admiring of make good design and you can attack any project. So can you tell me a little bit about what you think about that? Because that's something I've been really struggling with. Yeah, what a fantastic just question and just journey, right, of, of kind of how you're thinking about this. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pentagram and the rock star designers out there, that was an era that was unbelievable. And I also think that that's an era that just doesn't necessarily exist like it used to either for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, the idea of specialization is one that it's just been proven out time and again in our business that a generalist design firm has a, a much more difficult time making their case and being seen as different. And you just kind of lose all power when it, when it comes to a sales cycle or even working for the client. And so there's different ways to think about focus. And what I would say is when you're new and starting out, you should do everything you've been doing. Try a bunch of different things. Immerse yourself in disciplines, markets, all different kinds of things so that you can start to narrow in on what might I actually want to specialize in if I choose to go down that path. You won't know until you start as the generalist and try a bunch of different stuff. Then, you know, when you start to narrow in and that time and that that shift comes, it's hard. It's sacrifice. And like, I'm not going to say it any other way, except you're going to have to leave some things behind. But what you find on the other side is just really beautiful in that to be able to go deep into something and know something so well and really understand where you can take a client and create this better future is kind of an addictive place to reside. Like I would never be a salesperson for anybody unless they were highly specialized because I just, I know how hard that is. And so all of it is to say, like, you do have to pick your path, right? Our point of view is but one point of view, but I've been on both sides of the equation and my clients have been on both sides of the equation. And I understand so clearly now that you do need to be seen as meaningfully different. And with that comes competence and confidence and deeply effective, valuable work. Um, And it's worth it, but you can only get there after you've tried a bunch of different things. So I I don't know if I've really answered your question, because I still think there is, you know, there are the firms out there who are the rock star firms. It's just that they're few and far between. And even those rock star firms are going to hit times of struggle and eventually have to take a look at what is fundamental business strategy, which is positioning and specialization. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is that um, in order to actually really feel that, that connection that this is the category or this is the little, this is the corner that I really want to make my home as I'm not going to really feel that until I keep on trying a bunch of different things. That's you right. Think that's true. Yeah, I absolutely think that's true. You have to get out there and experience a bunch of things. And I don't think you should, you know, somebody says web designers shouldn't be coders. I don't, I don't buy that either. I think you, you should become a coder to understand what your coders go through. And if you have an aptitude for that, why wouldn't you try it? Maybe there's something there that you've landed on, right? That becomes an area of specialization. So I just think it's, you've got to explore. 
Absolutely. There's there's this one quote that and I know we're going to wrap up in a, in a few minutes, but there's this one quote that I found that I I always thought meant one thing. And then I found out it was one of those quotes that like, they cut up uh, where the mm. second half of the quote actually changes the whole meaning of it. Yeah. And one of the things that, that people kept on telling me when they were like, you should only do graphic design or you should only do web design or you should only do development is um, the quote that they kept on bringing up was a jack of all trades is a master of none. The mm-hmm. idea that like you're never going to uh, figure this out, like you doing multiple things, you're never going to be able to master one. But I didn't realize that the quote is actually a jack of all trades is a master of none, but often sometimes better than a master of one. Mm. So there's different ways to look at that. So maybe it's uh, a jack of all trades could be somebody that really has experience in all of these things, mm-hmm. um, but then makes that decision later on the line. But there's kind of a, a danger of um, making an uninformed decision about what you want to do and then you can't really relate to the people that you're working with do you think that that's that's a way of taking the quote yeah I think that I think there's a case to be made for going too narrow also right in an area of specialization and I also think there's a case to be made there that we live in a rapid fire world and things are evolving and changing and you also have to have the ability to adapt And so you're going to master different things and have knowledge in different areas. And what you almost have to become really good at is that ability to adapt and to change as the world adapts and change changes and evolves. And we saw that with our clients during COVID, like some of them lost 90% of their business in 48 hours. Well, guess what? They didn't take it laying down. They got up and chose to survive And because they are creative, because they are entrepreneurial and they have an appetite for risk, they pivoted to a new area. And like, it's almost about that, I think, more than anything, is your ability to adapt and survive and see what's next. And that, frankly, is what the creative professional is the best at, seeing around corners, seeing what's next. The the last thing that I want to quick talk to you about before we wrap up is, um, can can you tell me a little bit about what it's like doing what you do and and like what somebody would experience if they came to you for coaching um and and yeah I'm just just curious about that in case somebody's listening they're like oh this is I I really like her what she can what can she do to help me (laughs) yeah well I think it's it's so it's such a great question for today because I had a moment today that just just like why I'm deeply grateful for what I do I have a firm in private training and we worked through positioning together. They have their new focus selected. They're out in the market promoting it. They're doing great, right? They're killing it. They need to polish some sales skills. They need to get better at pricing and proposal development. But on the call today, we didn't talk about any of that. On the call today, we talked about how this client in particular is feeling and he's exhausted. He's exhausted by the pandemic. He's exhausted because he feels like he's too far away from the creative work and he's just so in the weeds of the business and he's questioning, do I even want to do this anymore? And so sometimes as a coach, I'm just there for you, right? I'm just there for you to let it all out and get your head right again and get some feedback about, am I going to be okay? Or do I need to think about something differently here? And then I'm there as a coach to help learn how to have a qualifying conversation or a value conversation, very process 
tactical kinds of things. And so I think when you come into coaching or any form of training at Win Without Pitching, you, you the team is there and we have your back and we're going to teach you how to sell better, but we're also going to catch you when you fall because a lot, a lot happens day to day in running your own business. I think that was really wonderfully put. I have a better understanding on what someone would experience coming to you for help because business or at least running your own business from what I've seen from other people and then starting my own LLC and, and, and doing my own thing is that it it is a lot of skills, but it's also really personal. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the amount of work that you put into it, especially COVID and everything happening, you kind of need that, that person to coach you through the um, technical and uh, high level things going on, but also just how are you doing today? Are you, is it yes. okay? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. You got it exactly right. And it's, it's why I love what I do so much. Perfect. Well, to to close up, uh, what what I like to do is uh, I finish up with uh, how people can reach out to me and all the different places where they could find me. And then um, we'll finish up with you. And if you want to share your email or websites that people can go to to learn more about you, uh, we can do that there. How does that sound? Sounds great. Okay, perfect. Alrighty. Well, um, hi, my name is Emily Giordano. I am a uh, web designer and uh, web flow developer. And uh, it's it's one of the coolest jobs. I, I can make anything from a, like a static website, which can be like a digital version of your business card, or it can be something that people log into and have a profile on and all of these different things. So if if you're interested in me and you want to reach out to me, you can find me at uh, Emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at greatdesignly.com, or you can find my website, which is greatdesignly.com. And I just came out with a little YouTube channel where I go through uh, websites and do reactions to show you what a user test would be like. So if you want to find me there, Great Designly is there. Um, and so that's, that's it with me, and we'll uh, finish up with you. You bet. Thank you, Emily. I have absolutely loved our conversation today. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And I'm Shannon Lee, the director of coaching at Win Without Pitching. And I think the best place to learn more and get in touch is just at our website, winwithoutpitching.com. And if you submitted, you know, a contact form or fill out a form that you want to have a conversation, I'll be the one to get that and we can talk more. And there's lots of great resources on our website too. Perfect. This has been great. Thank you for spending all of your valuable time with me. And I guess this is just goodbye until next time. I love that. Goodbye until next time. I love what you're doing. Keep, keep killing it out there. It's fantastic. Thank you.